Amen. Amen. And amen. You know, as you if you've walked to the Lord, especially if you've studied the Bible and if you've taught for uh, any length of time on whatever level, whether it's in a church setting or a Sunday school class or even to your own children. Have you ever noticed there's certain texts or certain things that you're studying in the word of God that just become a game changer for you? It's almost like you get that Rosetta Stone that opens up everything and provides a basis for understanding for you. Or it just becomes a catalyst to just reveal the heart of God through his word like never before. I think about uh, like the epistle of 1 John, which we've, we've, we've dealt with that in, in one of our expository teachings here at Cross Life. I, I remember when God just revealed to me that, that 1 John 1 and 6, that if we claim to have a relationship with him, but walk in darkness, that, that we lie and do not the truth, that if we begin to adjust to the darkness of this world, what we've done is we set a difference in our life. And so the, the remainder of that epistle just came alive to me once I saw the the heart and the desire of it. You think about the the, the Roman letter and several of those uh, parts of that letter jump out. But for me on a personal level, probably 30 years ago, just grabbing a hold of that Romans 8 and 1 about there being no condemnation for those that are in Christ that no longer walk after the flesh, but after the spirit. The rest of that, that letter made sense to me. And tonight I want to I want to deal with something. It might be interesting to you that we're so such in the early part of the study in Galatians that I'm not waiting till maybe Galatians two twenty that I've been crucified with Christ and nevertheless I live that that kind of that we always think about in Galatians or the or the the fruit of the spirit as such or the works of the flesh or such some of those those verses. But there's a verse here that for me that as a preacher of the gospel as somebody that is that, that desires to have that that growing and enduring relationship with God. It became a game changer for me in understanding not just this letter, but really the whole of my responsibility as a minister of the gospel. And so, you know, for the last few weeks, we've been really taking kind of a deliberate and, and, and kind of painstaking uh, uh, approach to this epistle in and, uh, and Galatians. And, and really, the, it's really by design because, folks, listen, we're not just exploring some historical record of the epistle. You know, we could do that in, in a couple of weeks. We could just talk about, okay, here's where he was. Here was the, the history of those people. And that's all fine and good. If we want to look at the Bible as a historical account, if we want to do that, you know, sign up for maybe a, a New Testament survey or an Old Testament survey class and, and kind of get a generalization. I remember taking a class on uh, the Roman letter in, in a college class, and it was a 10-week class, 10-week college class on the book of Romans. And much later, when I when I taught an expository teaching on the book of Romans, what was it, Lucy, 196 hours or something like that? I thought when I went through that class initially, in 10 weeks, they're going to explore the Roman letter. I mean, it was really just, here's your money for your tuition, and the class is over. That's really all it became because there was no exploration of that. It just became a brush over, a, a, a glossing over of a historical account. And so we've been taking a very deliberate account because I believe that there's more to it than talking about what somebody else did. That this word is living, that it's a, it's, it is a lamp unto our feet, it is a light unto our paths. It's something that is very relevant for now. It's something that is applicable now. And so when we're examining the word of God, it's easy uh, many times, I think, to extract some truths that deal with the actions and, and really the consequence of those actions that are done by an unbelieving world, right? We can look in the world and we can see here's what's happening and, and we can focus on the, the, the rise of political factions and we can think that the reason that all these, 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 these things are happening is, uh, is because I can apply that to the word. You know, if, if you've been one uh, that, is, that has gone after some of the things that have come over, you, you see the rise of the, the, the homosexual agenda. 
very much contrary and, 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 and prophesied about the Word of God. You look at the, the destruction and, and really the great holocaust of, of the unborn. I mean, that's something that you can point to in the Word of God and, and see where those things were, were, were spoken of. And so it's easy to talk about what the wicked people have done. You know what I'm saying? And, and talk about a world that's going to wax worse and worse and, and how those things are going to get more and more evil. And we can point to a, a Bourbon Street where we minister and, 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 and liken it to a Sodom and Gomorrah. See, those things are easy to do. You know, we can look at those. We can focus on these conflicts that in the last days are going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be disease and pestilence, all these things in different types of places. And those things are the beginning of sorrows. Why? Because all of these things that are happening in the world, we can look at the 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 actions of the debased minority. Like I mentioned, you know, the, the, the battle over the, the which restroom you can use at Target. And we can look at the word of God and we can extract these things. For those things, and those those things, the, the world, and and even though the worldly church can become fixated on that whole process, you know, we we think about the uh, leading up to the, the the conventions for the the Democrats and, and the Republicans, and and all the Christians and all the pastors that I know are chiming in on all of these things. Folks, it's easy to look at those things, but most fail, I believe, to see that all these things that have manifested themselves within the framework of our culture really are a testimony against the church for allowing compromise, even compromised religion and self-promotion, to take the place of the redemptive work of the cross of Calvary to begin with. All of these things that we see, I believe that they're done in direct proportion of our unwillingness to take a stand for righteousness, that they are a reflection of the many things that we've allowed into our hearts and lives as believers. Uh, talking, you know, about about marriage and you know we got some of these newlyweds here and those that are soon to be newlyweds i, I remember in the first few years of, of marriage and some of you men could probably relate to this man i, I was praying and unfortunately we were both believers uh at the time but i remember praying and man i'm praying god you know you need to fix my wife you know what man i was doing great but she's giving me a hard time it's just making things different i was, I was really praying that and i was so sincere I mean, I was arrogant, I was prideful, and I was immature, but, but I was definitely sincere in my arrogance and definitely sincere in my pride. I just did not have a plumb line to measure anything by. But I remember as, as I was praying and asking God to, to do something about Melanie. Don't, shouldn't she appreciate me more? Shouldn't she realize how good she's got it? Wouldn't she, you know, you think those type of things. We think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think of, and God begins to, to knock the legs out from under. And the Lord spoke something to me very specifically, and he said, son, he said, the reason that you have a wife is because she's reflecting all of those things that are really in your life that you just have the ability to hide. He said, you deal with you, and he said, it'll take care of those issues in her life that have escaped through you and have manifested themselves in that portion of the relationship. Well, see, it was easy for me to see, me, see her, but it didn't realize that many of her problems were an issue because of the lack of spiritual leadership that I was providing in my family, the lack of spiritual discipleship that I was giving to my wife. And as a result, all of those failures and all those frailties in me were manifesting themselves in the weaker vessel. Folks, listen, when we look at a world that's going to hell in a handbasket, the first place we need to look is at ourselves as the believers in the church of the cross, Christ of God, the cross of Christ, because we're the ones that have diminished the gospel, have taken that pastel blood and diminished it down to this palatable pastel pink on such a grandiose level 
that what we've done is we've opened up and ushered in the ability to the world to manifest themselves because we failed to take a stand. And then when they begin to encroach upon our territory, then we say, well, what are you doing? Well, they're just doing what they've always done. They're just living the way they've always lived. They're just acting the way they've always acted. And the reason they've been allowed to do that is because the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has not stood up and proclaimed righteousness like we desire to. So you look at Paul's missionary journey into this land of Gaul, and it was, folks, listen, it was not a journey into the political agenda. Listen, he had no desire whatsoever of overthrowing some type of uh, occupying power. That's not why Paul went into that area. His missionary journey was not some attempt to, 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 to rekindle some interest or the obligations to Judaism. It wasn't that. It wasn't saying, listen, here's where I came from. We need to start getting back to our Jewish roots. We need to start getting us some prayer cloths. We need to start living like the Jews and maybe get us a, a yarmulke or something and begin to act more like that. wasn't his agenda at all. It wasn't uh, he, his journey to the land of God wasn't uh, not some effort to establish a name for himself or to somehow uh, satiate his desire to be recognized or have some type of, of place or position. But folks, un unfortunately, Many of the things that we call church, that we call religion, that we even call Christianity, if I may, is for those things. It's to push a political agenda. You remember the religious riot in the early 80s and all those preachers were coming up and, and, the, and the moral majority or we were looking for to, to, to get somebody back to, to some source or give me that old time religion or even to build a name for ourselves. Folks, listen, unfortunately, there's many quote unquote Christian leaders that are more known than the Christ that they claim to lead people to that you'll mention and you'll say well what about such and such and an unbelieving world can tell you more facts and figures about a preacher on television than they can about the jesus that that preacher on television is supposed to be preaching about and so paul the apostle he was one that was sought out by god he didn't go looking for god you'll remember his conversion experience that he was looking, going to Damascus to get letters so that he could persecute the Christians. And Jesus sought him out. He, he, he was blinded by this light. He was knocked to the ground. And, 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 and the voice from heaven came, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Don't you know it's hard to, to kick against the goats? Don't you know? So he was sought out by God, but he was also called out and set apart for that purpose that God had raised him. He was a, an apostle set apart by God for a purpose. But he was sent out from that place, just like we're seeing here when he went to, 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 to the, those of Gaul to, to write this epistle. And so his message was to preach that message that he was given without any form of mixture. And so it wasn't, I'm going to preach the message, but I'm going to bring a little bit of pop culture into it. I'm going to bring the message, but you know what? In, in doing so, I'm going to invite some type of my political agenda. Years ago when I was in, in Texas and a couple called me up on the phone, and you know, here we were, we had a church in the hood, and I mean, it was, uh, you know, all of those, it was a preacher killer, it was a church killer, it was a place that nobody told you uh, that you should ever have a church. I mean, the, the neighborhood had collapsed around the building, and the building, I think, has probably collapsed by now. But a couple of the church called me up, and they said, Pastor, listen, man, we can, can I bring this guy over, this friend of ours? And we want to, he wants to talk to you. And I'm like, yeah, guys, y'all sure can. You can come over and say, listen, this is going to be a game changer for the church. Come on over. So anytime somebody tells me something like that, some outside source is going to come in and quote unquote be in the game changer. You know, I'm, I'm going to be polite. Come over and let's have a, a conversation. But, uh, you know, my antenna is going up and it's kind of a warning sign inside of me. So he comes in and he sits down. He's like, man, I've heard a lot of good things about you. Really? <laughs> I don't know who you were talking to. That usually doesn't happen in the company I keep. You know, y'all are doing such an amazing thing. Wouldn't you like to do more? Man, wouldn't you like to do more? 
Man, you guys are doing great. People need to know about that. People need to hear about that. Man, you know, you guys are making an impact. You're feeding the hunger. Yeah, we had a, a Jesus Cafe that fed about 250 sit-down meals to the homeless. I mean, you're, you're reaching people that have need. Yeah, we had a, a, a place that we, we took in guys off the street in a, in a women's house. Uh, uh, Joan Beth Gonzalez can attest to that. That's where they can. Sure, we were doing these things. We sit down. Wouldn't you like to do more? And Wouldn't you like to have the resources to do that? Well, immediately, I knew what was up. I was about to get somebody's sales pitch dressed up as Christianity. And I said, let me stop you just for a second. I said, buddy, what are you selling tonight? Well, listen, listen, I want to share with you something that's going to provide you some financial freedom. I mean, not only financial freedom for you, but you know what? You get a lot of contacts. You talk to a lot of people in your church. Just think about what if you were able to go into somebody's house that was struggling in, in their family? You could, yeah, certainly you could give them, certainly you could give them the word of God. And certainly that'll help them. A lot of people in your community are, are struggling because of finances. Wouldn't you like to be able to go in there and give them an answer to those problems? Folks, listen, when somebody begins to tell me that the answer is more money in your pocket rather than more Jesus in your heart, an alarm goes off inside of me. And so I stopped him once again. I said, listen, what's the name of this business that you're trying to get me involved? He said, listen, I, I don't want to say that right now because it's really not about that. It's about helping people. Well, I kept pressing the issue, and finally he named the, the name of this multi-level marketing company that they wanted to, to put me into, that they wanted me to prostitute the, the gospel in order to allow people to come into my house and get them in my downline, and we would all make this type of money. And I said, man, if you're doing so good, why don't you just write a check to the ministry every week, and we'll just pray for you, and God bless you for your endeavors. And I said, but if you expect me for a minute to diminish the responsibility that God has given me to preach the gospel for another dollar in my pocket or somebody else, I said, Man, you have come to the wrong place. Well, he ended up walking out that night, and that couple that I had done their marriage ceremony probably a couple years prior to that, they walked out that night, and they never came back into the church again themselves. But, folks, listen, I'm not going to undermine the gospel for any of that stuff. So Paul the Apostle, he's addressing these issues, and his goal was to preach the gospel without mixture to a desperate world that was so self-absorbed with a pagan culture at that time and also a world that had been inundated by this types and shadows of these Judaizers that had found themselves way back in. And so the epistle to the Galatians is our epistle. You hear me? I want to say that to you. The epistle to the Galatians is our epistle. It's a word to you, Renee. It's a word to you, Kenny. It's a word to me. It's a word to you, Brian. That's our epistle. This is a word not to some unbelieving world, not to somebody trying to sign you up for some multi-level marketing campaign. This is a message to you and I. And so as a message to you and I, even though it was transcribed and written down and given to Paul the Apostle 2,000 years ago for a really real people that operate in a very real historical context, folks, listen, if we miss out on this message just because we're living in 2016 and we're not right there in the land of the Gauls, just because it's a different culture and a different place and maybe a, a, a different temptation, folks, then we've missed the word of God altogether. The epistle to the Galatians is our epistles. It's something that's speaking to me now. It's something that gives me strength now, that gives me victory now, that gives me a direction now, that provides a clarity for me right now. And so this isn't just some indictment against this unbelieving world, but this is our epistle. Do you hear me? This isn't the epistle to the, the, the people that, that frequent Bourbon Street. This isn't the epistle to the, the people that are uh, trying to get rich in, in, in corporate America. This isn't an epistle to, to, to the unbelieving politician. This is our epistle. Folks, this is a rebuke 
It's a warning to those that have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Have you tasted tonight? Probably without very many exceptions. Every single one of us at one degree or another, one place or one time or another, we've encountered that transformational relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you haven't, you know what, man, this is a place and this is the time to do it. Behold, now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. So this is for us that have somehow found ourselves tasting and seeing, but to some degree or another, we've been duped into returning to another form of some bondage that's really the same old thing that it used to be that, that, that caused us to escape from the, from, the, from the clutches of sin and come to the cross anyway. So this is a gospel for us that have tasted but have found themselves diverting back on whatever level to whatever degree many times. We have a, a class called Radical Repentance, and it's a men's group that, that meets at the training center on, on, on Sunday nights. And many of the guys that are here, he wave, man, we're having a good time in Radical Repentance. But I, I appreciate what one of the men said one night, just being real forthright and honest, and, and I'm not going to say who it is. But here's what he said. He said, I need prayer. He said, because my biggest struggle is perpetual backsliding. That's what he said. He said, listen, he said, it's not to the degree that he said it might be 10 steps forward, but it's always two steps back. It may be five steps forward, but there's always a step back. He said, I find myself on this constant, uh, this, this constant venue spiritually of, of, of moving forward and backsliding, moving forward and backsliding. He said, I'm just completely exhausted because of that. Anybody could relate to that? Because that night in that room with 15 men in the room, man, many of the men could relate to it. And they said, listen, I'm tired of it, too. Whether it's five steps forward and one step back or, or, or five steps forward and a half step back. Folks, listen, stepping back is still backsliding. You hear me? We're called to advance in the kingdom, to go forward, to press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus. But the snare in which the church was, and I believe is still entangled in, is only as powerful as our willingness to ignore the obvious traps that have been set up along our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And folks, this isn't about someone else's struggle. This is our epistle, and this is our struggle. You hear me? This is our epistle. This is a letter to us, and as a result of this letter being written to us, it's our epistle and our problem and our snare as well. Folks, if we refuse to accept, and here's what he's addressed so far, and we've talked about the last few weeks. If we refuse to accept and submit to the God-ordained authority that he's placed over our lives, then what we've done is we've convinced ourselves that we're above such things. This is our epistle, isn't it? Has anybody here ever had a, a trouble with submission? That the second we hear the word submission, we say, nobody's going to control me. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. That I don't have to answer to anybody but God. Well, God said answer to somebody but him. God puts authority over us. But many times we say to ourselves, I'm not answering to Well, you do. Every time you go down the road and you hit your brakes because the, the speed limit sign says 60 and you're running 80, you've submitted to somebody else. Otherwise, you'd say, listen, I don't have to submit to that black and white sitting on there. I'm going to put the pedal to the metal. And when they pull me over, I'm going to tell them, listen, make me. I'm not, I'm not, you're not the only one with a Glock in your hand. Are you going to do that? No, you're going to submit. You say, sir, really, I didn't realize I didn't see the speeding ticket. So you're going to submit to someone else. When the IRS sends you that letter, they're going to audit you. Listen, you're going to submit to somebody else. When you walk into the convenience store and they charge you 8.25 or whatever the sales tax is here in Louisiana, you're not going to say, hey, listen, I, I'm not submitted to that. Just Take the tax off of me. That person behind that counter is going to say, listen, you're going to pay it just like everyone else, or you're going to shop somewhere else. And so before we get so high and mighty that we're, that we're not going to submit to anything, the question is, is whether or not we're going to submit to something, because we're all too willing to submit to the things of this world, but not all too willing to submit to the things of God. Because when the world's telling us to do it, we, we fall right in line. 
We don't say somebody's controlling or that's the shepherding movement or how, how dare them. They're trying to take over my life. No, we just fall right in line. But when God raises up a voice to a generation, whether it's a pastor, a teacher, a leader, an elder, a parent, whoever it may be in your life, and it, we begin to bristle against those things, who are you to tell me what to do? Well, I'll tell you who I am. I'm a saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized under promise, called and raised up by the Lord Jesus Christ, servant of the Most High. And if you've got an argument with that, you need to take it up to the one who called me. Why? Because I wasn't standing in line checking out books and trying to figure out how to do it. God found me in my wickedness. He found me in my brokenness. He found me in my humility and my willingness to raise my hand up and say, God, here I am. Send me, Lord God. I don't have anything to offer. I don't have the right pedigree. I don't have the right background. I don't have the right family. I don't have any of those things, Lord God. But because you found me on my Damascus Road over 30 years ago as a religious perpetual backslider, Lord God, whatever you want to do, my life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. So take it up with the guy who out of Psalm 75 raises up one and puts down another. But we have a problem with that. And somehow we're embracing that that which choked that spiritual life out of us uh, to begin with. And somehow now it's going to give us a level of control. Folks, folks, listen, Religious, religion is what chokes the life out of you to begin with. And we can't return to something religious. And I'm going to explain more of that as I go on tonight. And thinking that being more religious or doing more religious things, whether it's going to church or, or paying enough money into the tithe. Folks, listen, those things didn't save us to begin with. Or rejecting the truth to transform because we'd rather uh, uh, be religiously flawed than righteously redeemed. See, most people would rather be religiously flawed than righteously redeemed. What do I mean by that? Well, we would rather be religiously just a poor old sinner saved by grace. And everybody's going to sin. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're always going to fail. Folks, doesn't that sound humble? Man, it's so humble. I'm just a man. I'm just a poor old sinner. Man, I'm always going to struggle. Man, that seems so humble. Man, you know what? I just couldn't help myself. The devil made me do it. Oh, poor pitiful me. Look at me. I can't even, I can't even walk a straight line without God. You know what that's called? It's called self-righteousness. That was my excuse before I got saved. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? Before I got saved from sin, before I became a slave to righteousness, I was a slave to poor old sinners saved by grace. Folks, listen, I got news for you. I'm not just a man anymore. I've been saved. I've been transformed. The Word of God says if any man is in Christ, he's a brand new person. All the old things have passed away, and everything becomes new. When I was just a poor old sinner saved by grace, I couldn't help but live after the things of the flesh. But something happened inside of my life when the Spirit of God came into Troy Bond. It changed not just what I did on a Sunday or a Wednesday night. It changed who I was from the inside out. Do you hear what I did? Yeah, I started doing things different because I thought different. I started living different because I was different. And that Spirit that raised up Christ Jesus, uh, it dwelled inside of me and even quickened my mortal body. It made alive who I was from the inside out. Folks, I'm not going to fall back on the excuses of this world and walk into a perpetual backslide. Folks, listen, I'm not going to walk in the self-righteousness, which is filthy rags, that's constantly going to get, cause me to walk in that ebb and flow. If I just can't help myself, folks, listen, there's no temptation that's come upon you or upon me, but that which is common to every single one of us is some old poor sinner saved by grace. But God will never allow us to be tempted beyond that which we can bear. And with every single one of those temptations, he provides the way of escape. That we can bear it. Do you hear me? We always have the way of escape. And we let this mind be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus. Then no more are we held in the yoke of that bondage. And folks, if you can't, if you can't say that, 
I'm not going to apologize that I can. You hear me? If I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in the Lord. You can boast in your flesh if you want to boast in your flesh. You hear me? But I'm going to boast in the empowerment of the Spirit of God that's inside of me that transcends any of my abilities in the natural. Because, folks, when I begin to lean upon the arm of the flesh, I say the same thing. I just can't do it. Well, stop walking in the flesh. Well, God, I just can't get a victory. Well, stop walking in the flesh. Because those that walk in the Spirit will not fulfill the lusts or the desires of the flesh. Basically, all we're saying is, listen, I'm walking back. Having been saved in the Spirit, now I'm walking back into the flesh. That becomes the testimony of many people's lives within the church. Folks, I just have chose not to let that be my testimony. My, my testimony is going to be Christ and Him crucified, the power of God. I'm going to read those first. Uh, I'm going to read uh, verses 6 through 9 in Galatians chapter one tonight to kind of set the tone for where we're going this evening. He said, I marvel that you're so removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you that would pervert the gospel of Christ. Verse eight, verse eight, but though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you, but that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And as we've said before, so I say now, if any man preach any other gospel unto you, let him that you perceive, let him be accursed. I'm going to give you something to consider tonight. You might want to write this down. I don't know what you would ever do with it, but you can write it down. I, the letter I, 69 times in the book of Galatians. Me, 24 times in the book of Galatians. You, 41 times in the book of Galatians. Man, 15 times in the book of Galatians. We, 26 times in the book of Galatians. They, 22 times in the book of Galatians. Them, 15 times. Ye, 45 times in the book of Galatians. So talking about us, people, 257 times mankind is mentioned, okay? The reason I gave you that is because I want to give you this. Jesus, the book of Galatians, 17 times, God, 33 times, Spirit, Holy Spirit, 18 times, for a total of 68 times. 257 us. 68 times him. That's about 25% is of, of who we are mentioned about is he mentioned, and whether it's the Father, Son, or the Holy Ghost. Folks, that's the issue facing the world today, and really, more specifically, the church of the day, it's not a God problem. Do you hear me? But it's a man problem. And so the issue with Galatians was not a God problem. It was a man problem to 157 times to the tune of 257 times he's dealing with issues pertaining to us so what's the problem the problem is us it's not a god problem why because he's the lord god and he does not change jesus christ is the same yesterday today and he's always going to be the exact same even in outside of time and so it's a man problem that's going to require a god type of answer so let those four verses that I just gave you kind of burn in your, your minds tonight. I'll read them again. I marvel that you're so removed from him that called you under the grace of Christ into another gospel, which is not another. But there's some that trouble you that would pervert the gospel of Christ, though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you, but that which we preach and you let him be accursed. And we have said before, so we say now, if any man preach any other gospel other than what you have received, let him be accursed. Let him be anathema. Let him be eternally condemned. Let him be I'm me. Let him be deliberately positioned in the path of God's judgment. So if someone comes preaching any other 
gospel except that the Bible doesn't say pray for them. It doesn't say they're on a journey. The Bible doesn't say pat them on their pointy little head or invite them to your, your to have a cup of tea with them. It says if somebody comes preaching any other gospel, what you said, he said, let them be placed in direct uh, in the direct path of God's judgment upon all of those that would blaspheme the truth of the message of the cross. That's pretty harsh. I'm glad I didn't write it. I mean, that's above my pay grade by several degrees. But he said, let them be accursed. Why? Because it strikes at the very heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It strikes at the very message of the cross. And folks, listen, if there is ever a thing that we should never shrink back from, it's the defense of the gospel. If there's something you should never apologize for, it's standing up for the truth of God's word. Do you hear me? It shouldn't be, well, there's all these roads that lead to Rome, or you know what, there's just another way to look at it, or that's just your opinion. We should never shrink, shrink back from the gospel. Folks, that is the defense of who we are. Do you hear me? And so our failure to stand up for biblical truth in the face of really what would be a demonic opposition could really only serve to volunteer ourselves to be placed in that path of judgment. Remember we talked about last week at James 3 and 1, don't let them be, be teachers or leaders among you. We're all teaching and leading somebody somewhere. Because upon us is a stricter, there's a greater judgment. So where are you leading someone? Are you leading somebody in the paths of righteousness? Or are you leading somebody on a beeline to the path of God's divine judgment? Because you're leading somewhere, someone, someone, if it's just you leading yourself. You hear me? And so that literally, when he says, you've opened up yourself to be removed from one that calls you, it literally means to change sides. I'm shocked. I'm, I'm, I'm stupefied that you're so removed that you have changed Sides. That word literally means to change sides in the midst of the battle. That you see the victory, but even in the middle of the victory, you've changed uniforms. In, in the great conflict that called the Civil War, that somebody's fighting for just a minute on the, on the side of the, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the north, on the Union. And they're, they're gaining ground, they're getting victory. And he says, you know what? Man, I'm tired of wearing this blue coat. I'm going to put me a gray coat on. But what's going to be happening? You know what that's called? It's called treason. Folks, that's a capital offense. That's not like stubbing your toe. That's a capital offense. But, folks, we're treasonous many times in the midst of the battle because we turn away from that which saved us to something that has no power over us. Folks, let me give you a, a personal testimony. Let me just say this to preface what I'm about to tell you. I'm not obligated to believe anything but this. Do you hear me? And the reason I, I say that is because sometimes when we buy into uh, some type of religious dogma, we're forced to believe something else. I remember years ago sitting with a, a young lady that worked with me in, in the banking industry, and, and she was had a Catholic background. And I asked her something, and I was really just being inquisitive to her. I wasn't trying to blow her up or anything. This is why I was ever a pastor. And I began to ask her certain things. I said, why do you believe that? She said, because I'm a Catholic. Well, why do you believe such and such? She said, because I'm a Catholic. And she never said because that's what the Bible says or that's what God's word says. Catholic. Folks, listen. It's not just that. I've had other people tell me, listen, why do you believe that? Because I am a Baptist. Well, what does that have to do with following Jesus? Well, because I am a Baptist. Are you a follower of Jesus first or a Baptist or a Catholic or a Methodist or a Pentecostal first? Folks, listen. First and foremost, you can remove all that other stuff. I'm a follower of Christ Jesus. And if my Methodism or my Baptism or my Catholicism or my Pentecostalism gets in the way of God's word, I'm going to step right past those things into the middle of Jesus. You hear me? So I'm not obligated to anything else. But, folks, I was raised in a church climate. My sister could attest to this. 
you know what? It wasn't really a church climate at all, but they talked a good game. And so they were, quote, unquote, spirit-filled people, Pentecostal people, doctrinally, up to one point. Well, up to the point that says that you have a free will. Because if you had a free will, that means you can make choices. Now, my family didn't like to make choices because they made the wrong choices. And so if they were ever held responsible for their choices of saying, I'm saved, but I'm living like the devil, then there's a problem with their doctrine. You hear what I'm saying? And so we had this wide gate, once saved, always saved. As long as you prayed the prayer and as long as you did a little something, you can cuss. You can have sex outside of marriage. You can probably even murder someone because God's forgiven your sins, past, present, and future. And so you've backed God into a theological corner that all you did was one time you lived for him. Now you can live like the devil for the rest of your life. And you're going to stand before God. And he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. What's that news for you? Regardless of what your background was, if it was like mine. Do you hear me? And that's what mine was. God is not a man that he should lie or the son of a man that he should repent. Regardless of what Cleveland, Ohio said or Cleveland, Tennessee said or Springfield, Missouri or Tulsa said or wherever the headquarters are or what Rome said. At the end of the day, we've got to stand in agreement with what the word of God says. But I am surprised, but maybe I'm not, that we're so removed from that gospel and all these other things that have something to offer our flesh. Folks in my family, once saved, always saved, operated in my family as a free pass. It just gives us a license to sin. Now, we'd never say that because we were too religious to say that. We would never say that we were transgressing the righteousness of God. We, we stayed out of Hebrews that says if you continue to sin willfully after you've come to the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for your sins. We stayed out of 1 John chapter 3 that says that, listen, the reason Jesus came was to destroy the works of the devil. And if you continue to sin, that means that you're a child of the devil. We didn't preach that stuff. In fact, we weren't even encouraged to turn to that. We just stuck with John 3.16. Amen. Not this John 3.16, but the first John 3.16. So the question, folks, that every single one of us, regardless, maybe you came from a situation like I did, but the question that must, somebody say must, must be posed and answered tonight is this. What is it that opened the door first for the Christians of Galatia and secondly for the Christians of our present age to really enter into such a calamitous error? Something opened the door for all of these errors to occur. Where it ceased, the gospel ceased to be a, a, a transformational message, and it became a message of convenience. It became an, another type of message. Well, I'm glad that you asked me that question because it's found in verse 10. And this is the key. I'm telling you about them keys for me that understanding that problem. And here's what Paul the Apostle said in Galatians chapter 1 in verse 10. He said, for do I now persuade men or do I now persuade God? Question mark. He said, do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I would not be the servant of Christ. Another translation reads like this. It says, and now am I trying to win the approval of human beings or am I trying to win God's approval? Am I trying to please people? If, it were, if I were still trying to please people, I could not be a servant of God. 257 times us, 68 times. 268 times, 57 times focused on failure. 68 times focused on faith. So Paul, immediately upon declaring the problem, turning away literally from a counterfeit gospel and the dire consequences of it being smack dab in the middle of God's judgment, what he does is he seeks to distance himself from what was the source of the issue to begin with. That's what he did. 
I'm telling you the problem. I'm telling you the consequences. Now, let me distance myself from that. I want to put a difference between us. Folks, listen, back in 1996, got invited to the city of New Orleans from Texas. Many of you guys know the, the story of how Raven Ministries got started, why we came. Stepped out into that street. My, it was like my eyes were opened out of, uh, out of Matthew 9, 30, uh, 36. That he looked at the multitudes were moved with compassion. My heart was broken. I saw it like he saw it, so I decided to do it like he did it. And so we started bringing teams in. And I found out when we were coming in, especially into a, a, a French Quarter, Bourbon Street atmosphere with a number of people, it was so easy to get swallowed up in the crowd. Then we would. It was like people would vanish. And so, man, a brainstorm hit me. But what if we all wear the same T-shirt? And so when you see these people in these Raven shirts, that's the reason we started getting the shirts. It wasn't because we thought we were going to be the cool people. It says, I wanted people to be able to see a difference. And so just like uh, John 3.16 is wearing a shirt, it says, Jesus is the only way. I step out into Bourbon Street, whether it was back in 1996 or in 2016, people know why I'm out there. Do you hear me? People's not second-guessing the reason that I'm on that street. Folks, that was to set a difference. I didn't want to blend into the crowd. There's a reason that we set up an 18-foot red duct tape cross in the middle of the street. There's a reason for that. It's to become a spectacle. I don't want anybody to walk by and say, I wonder what those guys are out here doing. I wonder if those guys are out here trying to sign me up for Amway. No, when they see that cross and they see Raven Street Church plastered on there, they know exactly what's going to happen. Do you hear me? And so we do that to make a difference. Paul the Apostle did much the same thing. He said, listen, the problem is, is what you see. You see the problem. You see the degradation. You see the backsliding. You see the failure. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to distance myself from that problem. I don't want there to be any mistaking who I am. That's why the word says, come out from among them, be separate, don't even touch the unclean thing, and then I will receive you. We've got to come out from among those things. We've got to distance ourselves from that. And he, what he distanced himself from, and think about it, the first thing was winning the approval of men. Then you guys that are Christians, and, and specifically you guys that are called to preach the gospel, you have got to distance yourself from winning the approval of men. Many of you have been hamstrung in your desire to preach the word and to see hearts and lives change. Why? Because you have sought the approval of men. You thought, maybe if I get men to approve me, maybe they'll see something in me and they'll make me a youth pastor. Or maybe if, if somebody sees something in me, then they'll hand me the mic and I'll get to preach. And maybe, folks, listen, if you're saying that you've never uh, 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 felt victim of that, you're lying. You hear me? Maybe if I walk upright enough, or I strut, or I say amen good enough, or lift both of my hands, or whatever, maybe somebody will recognize me, and somebody will call upon me. Now, folks, listen, every single one of us are, are men of like passions. We fall into that same trap. The question is, how long are you going to stay in that trap? That's the question. You can recognize and say, listen, I'm not going to keep uh, 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 seeking the winning the approval of man. Man, I'm going to win the approval of God. Or seeking to please other people. People. Folks, listen, there's that approval that we seek from those that are above us, and there's an approval that we seek from people that are next to us. That's what Paul was talking about. He says, listen, they're trying to seek the approval of people that are above them or higher positions of authority that can maybe offer them an opportunity, but it's also those that are next to you. Because if it fails to impress the people above you, what do you want to do? Then you want to impress the people next to you. That way you can undermine the authority that's above you. Man, listen, they ain't all that, are they? Man, listen, I'm just not getting fed. Listen, they're just not doing anything. That church just isn't, and that pastor didn't say the right thing. Or, man, did, he didn't acknowledge me. Or, man, I don't like the way he treated me. Or, they said that. So what do we do? Man, I don't like the way he treated you. Man, you deserve more than that, Renee. 
Man, they don't realize what they've got. We seek the approval of men through flattery and through all of these words that we begin to speak to people. The great apostle of prayer, Ian Bounds. Some of you guys have heard of Ian Bounds. Amen. If you hadn't read Ian Bounds, go to go to the gospel bookstore, get you the, the whole volume of Ian Bounds on prayer and read it. You get some good insight from the apostle of prayer. Here's what he wrote concerning these things. He said, the apostle Paul did not desire to fall short of that most important quality in a preacher of the gospel. He said, namely, boldness. It says he was no coward or time server or a man pleaser, but he needed and heeded prayer in order that he might not, through any type of timidity, fail to declare the whole truth of God or through the fear of men declare in an unapologetic, hesitating way. He desired to remove himself as far as possible from an attitude of this kind. His constant desire and effort was to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ with consecrated boldness and with freedom that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. It seemed to be his greatest desire, and it would appear that at any times he was really afraid that he might exhibit a cowardice or he might be affected by the fear in the face of men. This is the day that we, the, the, this, this, this is a day that has an urgent need of men after the mold of that great man of courage, brave and true, who are not swayed by the fear of men or reduced to silence or apology by the dread of consequences. And one way to secure them is for the pew to engage in earnest prayer for the preachers. Folks, that's a, man, that is, that, is a, that is a good word for the preacher, not to fall victim of cowardice or trying to please men. But that's the trap that the Galatians fell into. And it wasn't anything new because that's the trap of becoming a man pleaser. Look at Romans chapter 16, verses 17 and 18, just for a second tonight. Romans 16, 17, 18. Paul the Apostle once again saying this. He said, and now I make one more appeal, my dear brothers and sisters. Watch out for people who cause divisions and upset people's faith by te teaching things contrary to what you have been taught. Doesn't that sound a lot like what he was telling the church at Galatia? Sounds a lot like it, doesn't it? I want to read it again. Romans 16, 17. And now I want to make one more appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters. So he wasn't talking to the world. He said, I want you to watch out for people that cause divisions and upset people's faith. What was the warning against? People that do what? Cause divisions and people that do what? Upset the faith that remove you from the faith now we think to ourselves what is it that causes that well he goes on to tell us he said stay away from them such people are not serving christ our lord they are serving their own personal interest now here's how they do it by smooth talk and glowing words they deceive innocent people so how do they get people how do they cause divisions how do they upset people's faith by flattery do you hear that? By being man pleasers. Folks, listen. Jesus Christ said, I've come not. Think not that I've come to bring peace on the earth. Nay, but a sword. Folks, we think to ourselves that a sword is what causes division in the body. No, a, a, a sword is what causes division from the world. You hear me? His word is like a sharp two-edged sword. His word is what separates the sheep from the goats. What fellowship does light have with darkness? Folks, listen, there is no peace in darkness. There's no peace in compromise. There's no peace in living like the world. The only peace that we're going to have is a peace that passes comprehension through the foolishness of preaching the gospel. Those that are perishing, it says it's foolishness but unto us which are saved. And it's the power of God.
Folks, it is the very fabric that brings unity together within the body of Christ. Proverbs 26, 28 says, flattering words are ruinous. They'll bring ruin because they embrace the gospel that while appearing to be genuine and have a sense of religion, it's one that's flesh-based and it's self-exalting. He said, I'm now, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, he said, I would not be a servant of Christ. Quickly, go to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32, Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus chapter 32. Familiar story. Charlton Heston, you all know the story. I used to think Charlton Heston was Moses when I was a kid. True story. It says, when the people saw how long, I saw Charlton Heston in other movies, I think, look, Moses is in that movie. It says, when the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come down from the mountain, they gathered around them Aaron and said, come on. He said, make us gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us from the land of Egypt. You know this. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from your ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So take me those things that are valuable to you. And all the people took the gold rings from their ears, and they brought them to Aaron. And Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. And when the people saw it, they exclaimed, Oh, Israel, these are gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You're familiar with the story, right? Now, look at verse 5. And here's what I'm talking about tonight out of Galatians 1 and 10. Then Aaron saw how excited the people were. So he built an altar in front of the calf. Folks, listen. I want to bring something into view. The people didn't tell him to build them an altar. The people told them him to build them a god. Okay? Big difference. He built them. They asked for something that would be symbolic of a god because they needed something that they could see. Okay? But he saw how much it pleased man. He said, let's take it to another level. And so he built an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced, tomorrow we will have a festival to the Lord. So first he built a false god for them. And secondly, in response to the delight of the people, he facilitated their blasphemous worship. Why? Because he became a man pleaser. Folks, listen, it was bad enough that he built a golden calf out of the things that were valuable to them. It was another thing that he was willing to pay homage to his initial error. And so he said, let me introduce something false. And if they approve, then we're going to build an altar. They approved, they built an altar. Think about the strange fire that's being offered in houses of worship each week in the name of Jesus. Folks, if you don't think it's happening, folks, there's music that you don't know if the guy's talking about Jesus or some fling he just had on the weekend. Folks, that stuff's not pleasing unto God. It's, it's almost this sensuality that's found itself into modern worship. It's, you know, God giving sloppy wet kisses or something. You've got to. I've walked with him for 30 years. You thought you get in the presence of God. It's not some sloppy wet kiss. It's going to be like John fell on his face like a dead man. So the mockery and the sensuality that's found itself into even modern worship that's being offered to God, it's like the, the strange fire of Nadab and Abihu that is going to consume us. Really, we really think that, 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 that he's some one-night stand that we're going to talk to like that. You know, you recently in the news, there was uh, Hillsong out of New York City. Y'all are familiar with, with Hillsong, the music, obviously. Hillsong's got a church in New York, and in some presentation, some pageantry, the youth pastor come across the stage. If you've ever ministered in Times Square in New York City, which I have many times, you've heard of or seen the naked cowboy. Well, he's not actually naked. He's wearing a pair of, 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 of whitey tidies 
and he's got a cowboy hat and boots, and he's got a, a guitar strategically placed in front of his whitey tidy. So from a distance, you would think that he was naked. Well, they're doing some type of pageant, and the youth pastor comes out, and he's dressed like the naked cowboy. Well, later on, Brian Houston, who's the pastor of the, the, the Hillsong organization, said, listen, we had no idea. We was amazed that that happened. The pastor of the church didn't know that. Well, he's your youth pastor. Folks, I tell you what, if Brian shows up giving an announcement in his whitey tidies, or, 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 or John James or Vinny shows up doing that, listen, that's going to fall squarely upon Pastor Sam Cogan. You hear me? He's not going to be able to sit back and say, Pastor Troy, I'm so sorry, those guys. I'm going to say, brother, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with your leadership? Aren't you going to take responsibility? How, how could they think that that was okay? You hear me? And so when a pastor steps up and says, listen, we didn't know it was going to happen. We were just as surprised as everyone. Well, you should have been. Probably because you don't have the leadership. You're not in prayer. You're not offering the type of leadership and the support and the authority in that person's life. That How could somebody ever think that it would be okay to walk out on the stage in a place of worship in your whitey tidies? Well, it's because we created a culture of man-pleasing. Folks, listen, that probably wasn't the first questionable thing. No, it absolutely wasn't. You can see the other times where they've offered sensual type of dance and things in the church, and they've, they, they, they've embraced a Justin Bieber, who's a total young man that needs to get saved. He's pervert. He's not a Christian. Do you hear me? Every other week, you see some blurb on the internet. Justin Bieber filmed naked in uh, Cozumel with his girlfriend. And so, but he goes on, and they put him up on stage, and they claim, folks, listen, that's why the sensuality has found itself into the church. Why? Because we've taken that message, and we've made it so palatable, and we've taken that narrow way, and we've widened it out for everybody to have it. So we really become more like the world to win them out of the world, or should we become more like Jesus to win the world for Jesus? Folks, that's the trap of man please. Am I trying to now win the approval of human beings or of God, or am I trying to please people? Because if I was still trying to please people, I could not. I could not be a servant of God. I could not be a servant of God. Am I trying to win men's approval or persuade men? Folks, that's the question that we formulate. To persuade or to gain approval is, uh, uh, is, is pitho, and it's a proper name for a goddess that was well known at the time. It was the goddess of persuasion. So Paul the Apostle said, listen, am I going to succumb to another gospel, another god, the goddess of persuasion? So, folks, when we become men pleasers and we want to dilute the message because it rubs people the wrong way. That's exactly what we do. So when my goal is to flatter or influence men rather than God, then I've effectively embraced the worship of a false god. In this case, obviously, uh, pitho. And so I, I, I've set myself at odds against God, and I cannot be a servant of Christ. Think about uh, Matthew 6.24. No one can serve. Two masters, because you love one, hate the other, hate the other, and love the one. He didn't say you, you'll love them both about the same. Or you'll, you'll go back and forth in the relationship. What do you say ultimately is going to happen? You're going to love one and hate the other, or you're going to hate the other and love the one. Folks, listen, if I've embraced flattery or influence in the effort to gain the favor of men, and what I've done, I've yielded myself the servant of something else and have departed from the faith and have been removed from the gospel of Christ. That's exactly what I've done. If that's been my desire to gain the, 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 what people desire. So when we speak of men pleasing, just in Galatians 1.10, we're not talking about being a good, loving, kind person. That's what we're talking about, being a man pleaser. But we all need to be that. You hear me? We need to demonstrate the, the fruit of the Spirit. When we're talking about men pleasing, we're speaking of doing so to the difference of the gospel. In other words, doing something that is bringing harm to the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And the gospel of Jesus Christ says that I'm not willing that any should perish, that all come to repentance. And so if it's the pastor of Hillsong Church in New York City telling uh, 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 Justin Bieber, listen, you're on, a, you're, you're on a journey. You're a good Christian boy. It's just that your, your fame and fortune has gotten your way. And so just keep on coming to church. Just keep on standing up on stage. Just keep on, keep on, keep on, keep on. And I'm not going to rebuke you or call you out for your sin. That's to the harm of the gospel. The gospel, that's not a gospel at all. And that sets you on a path of destruction. That is the trap. It's something that's done more frequently than any of us would really want to admit. Examples of families that are pastors and teachers. Listen, that's the toughest thing. I got, I got a, 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 a guy that was a friend of mine for many, many years. And man, he, I tell you what, the, the, what attracted me to him, we do street ministry, and man, the guy would preach truth. He would. I mean, he wasn't backing off and in private conversation, he'd preach truth. And then I noticed one day that he was promoting his grandson that was going to be playing with his band at the Viper Room on the Sunset Strip. Now, the Viper Room was at that time owned by Johnny Depp. And it was a place that a lot of these uh, uh, people got their start. And he, he put on a Facebook post. He said, yeah, my grandson's out there. If y'all are in the area, go hear my grandson at the Viper Room. And he said, that's where. And he named four or five of these entertainers that got their start at the Viper Room. And something clicked in my mind, and so I just Googled their names, and every single one of those entertainers that he named that got their start at the Viper Room had died from a drug overdose. And so I sent him a message, and I said, call him my name, and I called his grandson by name because I've, I've known him both for years. And I said, brother, listen, I would hope for more from him than that. I said, do you realize that you put him in league with all these men that were godless, that were blasphemers, that all died in their sin and probably busted hell wide open? Folks, that was the end of our relationship. Why? Because there's some guy that was willing to stand out on Sunset Strip and preach truth to the lost and dying was embracing the same thing. Why? Because it benefited something that was close to home. Folks, you can ask my children. That's my son. He's right here today, and he ain't no shame in his game. I've told him many times, listen, son, I'll do anything in the world for you. Right down to laying my life down. Give you anything I've got, do anything. But the only thing I won't do for you is disobey God's word. Well, good. Ask him. They don't hurt his feelings. He, he knows me. But, folks, we can't be men pleasers even when it hits that close to home. And that's when it really, when the rubber meets the road, we have to make those decisions. That really tells who we are because it's easy for me to say, hey, you right here who I don't hardly ever see, man, here's what you need to do. But what about when it's somebody that, man, I have that close, intimate relationship with? Folks, that's a trap of the modern church. So Paul was addressing the issue really from the vantage point of someone that had once done just that, had been a man pleaser. That's what he was. If you'll read Acts 9, 1 through 2, I'll read it. You don't have to turn there. Paul was uttering threats. This is when he was still Saul of Tarsus. He's uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest and he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the rest of any followers along the way to be found. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem. And so he went to people, tried to gain favor, to be man-pleasers. And so prior to getting saved, what he did, he was motivated by gaining favor so he could gain something from men to the harm of God. And so even he was undoubtedly a very religious man. Think about that. He was a religious man that was a man-pleaser. But, folks, once he got bona fide, born again, had that encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road, everything about his life was now the opposite. And so he was laying his life down for, for others, but he would not lay the truth down for others. You hear me? I mean, he was a man that gave up his life for the cause of the gospel, but he was not about to give up the gospel for the sake of man. 
He would never sacrifice the message for man-pleasing. Folks, how has it lasted from then until now? How's it been promoted? Let me give you a couple examples. How many of you have ever been a part of a church that maybe the pastor resigned or he moved on or he died or something? Anybody ever been a part of that church? Especially a denominational church, whatever that denomination was. Now, typically, where did that next pastor come from? Outside the church. What did they do? They formed a pastoral search committee, and they voted on the next pastor. Now, that sounds equitable. The problem is that's just not biblical. And so what happens? You get these resumes from these pastors. They tell you their educational background. They tell you their experience, and they're wanting you to call them in. And so they come to your church, and what do they do? They want to please everybody. They come in, and they tell that board that it might be full of devils. Listen, man, I'm just here to serve. Man, I feel like God's called me here. And so I'm trying to please you. You're trying to please me. And so they stand up on that Sunday, and they're auditioning for a God-called place. Think about that just for a second. They're auditioning. And so what I need to do is I'm trying to get the vote of all of these people out here. Folks, I would never get voted into the pastor of a church. So I'm a church planter. You know, listen, nobody's going to vote this guy in. They hear him one time. they like, man, that guy's just too mean. That guy's just too forthright. That guy's just too honest. But what they'll do is they'll vote that guy in. They'll say, listen, man, he, man, he, he, he really said something I really like today. Folks, we've perpetuated that. Folks, I have a, I have a dear friend that's uh, the, the, the chief deacon board of a, a large Baptist church in Texas, the largest church in that city. And I've preached in that, that church a number of times. And he, he was talking about some of the issues they were having leadership with the pastor. I said, you know what the problem is, brother? I said, you don't have pastors. You have hirelings. And I said, the guys, I said, I've known the last two pastors. They're nice hirelings, but they're hirelings nonetheless. And he's like, well, what do you mean? I said, well, you hired them for the job. I said, they talked about the call. I said, but then they had to talk about the salary package. I said, it's, I don't have no problem with all that. I said, but what's going to happen if you ever stop paying that guy? He's going to go down the road looking for another job. I said, so you've created an environment of hirelings. You hire the next guy. You hire the next pastor. I said, brother, the thing I like about what I do, nobody hired me so nobody can fire me. I can just preach the word, teach, and do whatever else. Amen? thing I like about Pastor Sam, before he ever got a paycheck, amen, he did it for nothing to his, to his own cost. You hear me? But, folks, we've created this culture rather than, here's what I told him. I said, you guys have been in this city for a couple generations. And you still can't disciple somebody to take his place? You guys are so ineffective in discipling converts that you can't even, out of hundreds of people in your church, you don't got one man worth his salt to step up and lead that church. I said, the indictment against you guys isn't that hireling pastor. It's you guys for creating that culture of hirelings. You've created man-pleasers. And when they don't please you, you get rid of them and you hire somebody else. And you wonder what went wrong. Well, he didn't much want to hear that. But fortunately, he did hear that and he received that word. Folks, listen, we perpetuated those things through that. And we also, secondly, we've created this false love and this false grace message. We said we've got to love people. Folks, listen, you're never going to love how he loves until you loved what he loves. I'm going to stop there tonight. But folks, listen. Man-pleasing opens the door to abandoning the gospel. Why? Because the gospel was not designed to be popular. It was designed to be transformational. Jesus preached that word. After it was all over, he looked back. He had 5,000 attendants. There was nobody but the 12. Are you going to leave also? 
They didn't say, no, we're sticking around for another picnic. They said, where will we go? You have the words of life. 